The Super Bowl is set. The Chiefs will take on the 49ers down in South Beach. We recap championship weekend and look ahead to the big game. The Giants hired Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator. We break down the hire and what's next this offseason for Big Blue with Giants beat writer Paul Schwartz. We're also joined by former Giants GM Ernie Accorsi to talk about George Young getting voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All that and more next on Blue Rush with the New York Post. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Blue Rush, a New York Giants podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host, Jimmy Fallon. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Paul Schwartz and Ernie Accorsi join the show today. Let's talk some football. Well, a Super Bowl matchup is set, uh, but based on the gambling results in championship weekend, I don't know that we're going to hear our producer, Jake Brown, too well right now. Uh, it's my understanding you're in a trunk on the way to Staten Island because you couldn't pay the bookie. Is that true, Jake help, Brown? Help! Help! Someone help! <laughs> what's, that, what's that knocking sound coming from the back seat, mom and dad? Oh, nothing, honey. Turn up the radio. Man, I got to tell you, a couple of bad beats, and uh, it didn't have to be this way. Starting with the first game, it looked like your Titans had a real good shot at a backdoor cover. You know, you're getting, you know, you're getting seven is what I believed it went off at. You're down 11. In that last drive, you might have pulled it out. Both games, I really thought there was a chance at a backdoor cover. The Packers were lifeless in the first half. Second half, they show some life. And with Aaron Rodgers, you just never know. And then the first game, you, you thought maybe the Titans have something in them. They were getting closer and closer. But again, the it, we're getting now the the great offense versus the great defense. Both underdogs did not happen. Both overs did happen. The first game, the over was around fifty one and a half, and that hit. And then this game hit pretty easily, the forty six and a half over. So the overs were the were the good bet. The underdogs were the bad bet, Jimmy. Yes, they were, and uh, it's unfortunate uh, that you may not live to see Andy Reid finally hoist the Lombardi trophy, uh, because as, as we know right now, they are tiny favorites. They did uh, what they've done all year long. They got behind a little bit, uh, very similar to last week, uh, again, you know, in the uh, divisional round, came roaring back. And I was surprised because when I saw the Titans get off to a 10 nothing start, I just assumed Derrick Henry would run downhill from there and they'd be in this game. But they got overwhelmed pretty quick. I mean, that Chiefs offense had quite a day. Forget the cold. It's almost like the Chiefs want to be losing early. I mean, last week they're down 24 nothing and they come back. This week they're down 10 nothing, and you can't even be worried. It's almost like if they're losing, you're more comfortable if you're a Chiefs fan because they have their backs up against the wall, and then Mahomes scores an electric raid. The first half, they scored three touchdowns in, a, in about a 9-minute, 22-second uh, total. I mean, that's an average of three minutes per scoring drive, and it just shows you how quickly the Chiefs can score and no deficit to them is insurmountable, and that's why it's going to be exciting to see them in the big game here, and good for them, Jimmy. They haven't been to a Super Bowl in half a century, 50 years. A lot of us, uh, people's mothers and, and fathers, haven't seen the Chiefs play in a Super Bowl, so it's good to see Andy Reid back, and remember, he did win one as an assistant, and now he's got a chance to hoist his first one up as a head coach, and you feel good for the guy. Yeah, it's exciting for him. Uh, I, I, I felt frustrated for the guy when they were out there on the podium, and they're like, let's hand this Lamar Hunt trophy 
to every member of the Hunt family we can find, uh, and then we'll eventually give it to Andy. I mean, we know that's customary at this point, but it was like, ah, the guy's waited this long to get back. Why not make him wait a little bit longer? But uh, Andy Reid, yeah, you got to be thrilled for the guy. I mean, the last time he was there, it was the hobbled Terrell Owens Eagles that fought valiantly, by the way, but they came up short against the Patriots. So it's nice to see him get back. And for the franchise itself, in our lifetime, Man, we've seen them lose this game a lot. I mean, forget last year when they lost in overtime at home to the Patriots. This goes back through Marty Ball and, of course, through last week's guest, Dick Vermeil, lost one of these after going 13-3. and three. So for the fan base, it's really exciting. You know, this is one of those moments in football that I think is good for everybody because you've got, you know, a new guard getting into the game. You're not watching the Patriots play some type of NFC retread again. Uh, and even on the other side, you know, for the 49ers, it's uh, the last time they were there was the Kaepernick years. That was a Jim Harbaugh administration. So it's nice to see them get in with Kyle Shanahan. There's a lot of cool storylines, Jimmy. And one of them is last year the Chiefs were a D Ford offsides away from making the Super Bowl against the Patriots. If you remember, D Ford didn't even. It wasn't a, a normal offside. It was he was lined up offsides before the play started, and now they're going up against D Ford on the Niners. So it's it's the D Ford Bowl down in South Beach, which is a cool story. <laughs> D Ford Bowl. Uh, I will say this: um, I'm excited for both of these franchises because they do have you know it's a quarterback league. They have two young, exciting quarterbacks, which is a great deal. Uh, they've got two coaches that are hard to root against at this point. And if I had to make a pick, this is not our Super Bowl 54 preview show. We're a ways from that, you the listener. But if I had to make uh, an early pick, the Chiefs are a one and a half point spread. I feel like this is their year to win only because you'd expect conditions to be good, a fast track in Miami. And uh, our man, Nick Bosa might be a little hobbled. He had a, a bad hip early going in the game and he got chipped again late. And uh, who knows if he's going to be there to get to Patrick Mahomes. Jimmy, it is a wild way that the Niners got here. You look at how they scored 37 points. You're like, wow, Jimmy Garoppolo must have had a heck of a game. This guy went six for eight with 77 yards. I mean, that tells you, one, they trust their run game and the run game is working. Two, they forced turnovers and they trust that defense. Three, that's great coaching. They kept going, Jimmy, to what worked for them. And what worked for them was Raheem Mostert. This guy has bounced around the league. Most people haven't heard of this guy. He was on practice squads with the Eagles. He was on the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Browns, the Jets, the Bears, and been on the 49ers the last couple of years. I mean, 2015 alone, he was on four different teams. And now in the NFC Championship game, he has 29 for 220 and four touchdowns, averaging almost eight yards a carry. You never see in a championship game a quarterback attempt eight throws, and he's a good quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, but eight, eight throws. kind of a guy that got hurt in the first quarter and didn't return. It's, it's bizarre. Crazy. Jimmy GQ, as Steve Serby likes to call him, he's going to be on a GQ cover very soon because he's the face of the Niners right now. But Raheem Mozart is is slowly creeping up as the face of that team. I mean, that is an unprecedented game from a guy no one had heard of coming into this season. Now, while they're done throwing uh, Gatorade, on Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to throw cold water on the praise because this is the one thing I will say. Epic game for him against the Packers, but now he's going up against a totally different run defense. And if the Chiefs could pseudo-neutralize Derrick Henry, I mean, you don't stop Derrick Henry. He still had a pretty good stat line. But if they can pseudo-neutralize Derrick Henry, I, I feel confident in their ability to hang with that 49ers running game. The Packers, for whatever reason, 
And it was said during the game. It was actually Joe Buck who said it. He said they were completely uh, overwhelming the Packers' manhood uh, defensively. They were just too much man for the Packers. And I, you would like to think the Chiefs are going to be in the, be able to get in the way a little bit more. Uh, so um, it's a measured praise I have for that 49ers performance because I think what we saw today is, yeah, they're a really great team. Uh, but the Packers, there was a reason they were eight-point underdogs. There was, there was something limited about them. But let me segue for a second here, Jake Brown, because we could go on about this for years and years. But we've got experts like Paul Schwartz coming up. We've got Ernie Corsi around the corner. There is some Giants news, which you don't usually hear uh, in playoff season. <laughs> we, we haven't had Giants news during playoff season in quite some time. And maybe this isn't playoff-related, uh, but we do have a new offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. Are you excited? Listen, this was weird for us because I think all of us said, no, stay away from Jason Garrett. And you kind of said that as head coach, and now he's offensive coordinator. You're like, you know what? I mean, let's give him a try. Maybe a role that's kind of less pressure on him. Maybe he's Joe Judge's right-hand man. You haven't experienced head coach on the staff. Now they didn't have a head coach really on the staff. In terms of a guy who's coached multiple years in the NFL, Garrett's that guy. The negative side of this, Jimmy, is that he's a very high-profile guy. I mean, he's going to get questions from the media that a normal offensive coordinator is not going to get, and you're hoping the past Jason Garrett is out the window and this is a new error, um, and it's going to be intriguing to watch. You know, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm very in-between, but uh, I, I kind of wish they went with a guy that wasn't uh, as mainstream as Jason Garrett. This is the problem. If Joe Judge starts off, you know, one in three, we're going to start hearing, hey, are you guys going to hire Jason Garrett? You know, he's kind of lurking now. It's a rough position. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I was shocked he took the gig because it seems like such a massive demotion to go from the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And I understand when you're a coach in transition, these coordinator gigs are kind of image rehab assignments where you come in, you coordinate for a year or two, and you get another big contract offer to run a team. But I feel to a guy like Joe Judge, who is a, you know, a rookie coach, this is going to be, in some instances, a little bit undermining. It's very similar to, you know, we've seen this in sports where, you know, the Yankees will have a manager, but they'll have a Joe Girardi up in the booth. Or when I was a kid, they'd have a Lou Pinella up in the booth. And there was a guy there in the organization lurking who had experience, and it comes back to kind of overshadow uh, the, the actual current manager a little bit. So for Joe Judge, I think it's a mixed bag. But for Garrett, hey, man, uh, you know, he can't do any worse than he did down the stretch with the Cowboys. They had a lot of talent. I mean, they were always a favorite to get to the Super Bowl, you know, in these last two or three years, and they never quite delivered. So maybe this coordinator thing is a new bag. Yeah, and I understand why he took the job. I mean, he's coming, he's going from Dallas, a media empire, to New York, the biggest media empire. This guy knows what it's like to have a media scrum around him. He's worked in the past with an owner who's been overly outspoken. You don't have that as much with the Giants, with the Mara family. They're not that kind of uh, ownership group that heads to the media right after the game. Uh, Jerry Jones speaks every game after the media. He does the radio show every week there. So it's a lot different of a situation. And now, Jimmy, the next layer of this is everyone talking about does Jason Witten follow Jason Garrett and come to the Giants? And listen, I don't love or hate that either. I mean, this is, again, a very mixed bag of emotions because Jason Witten's pretty much over the hill. You're glad he's away from the broadcast booth because we know he was hot garbage there. Maybe he is that veteran tight end because Evan Ingram can never stay on the field, so maybe he's a good veteran leader to have in the locker room. So that could be a good thing that comes out of this. But, uh, you know, less pressure on Jason Garrett, the better. Yeah, listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. 
I don't want a bunch of Cowboys retreads. I know that's a story. I mean, if you're going to bring in Witten, let's just bring in Jay Novacek while we're at it. It's 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 going to bring them all in just to have a veteran presence, you know. Um, listen, let's just let's just attack this with uh, tempered enthusiasm. And for Jason Garrett, you know, he was in this town a little while. You know, when people talk about organizational ties, he was a backup quarterback here uh, for longer than Joe Judge was an assistant offensive line coach. So there is some, you know, familiarity. Uh, he is used to the media scrutiny, as you said. And, you know, after the year we just had, I would have taken Jake Brown as offensive coordinator if you weren't such a liability to bet the games. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I forgot that Garrett actually was here, and he was here during the Jim Fossil era, a friend of the program. One of our favorite interviews. Oh, Jim Fossil, I mean. Uh, speaking of Super Bowls, a guy that led the Giants Super Bowl, and Jace Garrett's part of that team. So you're right. It's again with these Giants ties, you, you, these ties to the team. Uh, you thought it would work with the Matt Rule, the one-year tie as a uh, assistant offensive line coach or whatever he was, and now maybe it worked out with Garrett. They said, hey, you were a good backup quarterback. Now how about you call the plays? Remember, Kellen Moore was the big play caller in Dallas, so Garrett wasn't incredibly involved on that side, but he did have some say on the offensive side. So, uh, again, we'll wait and see, Jimmy. The more important thing is uh, the combine coming, the draft coming. Those are going to be shows way down the road. But what Dave Gettleman does to address all these holes, he needs to give Garrett an offensive line. He needs to give Garrett another receiver or two and maybe a veteran presence like Jason Witten. This is so sad, though, that we're talking about the draft and the combine because it's like there's a Super Bowl coming up, and it's just such a stark reminder that we're not one of the two teams going to the big dance. We're the guys who got stood up discussing what's to look forward to on Netflix. We're like, all right, there's not going to be any chicks at the party we're going to, but you know what? We've got this new documentary to look forward to. Well, I will say the Aaron Hernandez documentary, I just watched it, is a must-watch. Oh, listen, um, everybody I know that has seen it said it's incredible. I have not I have not been there yet, uh, but I will check it out. I mean, and, and to be honest with you, I owe you that much to check out an Aaron Hernandez documentary. Uh, if, if nothing else, I should be taking your movie reviews and not your gambling picks is all I'm trying to say. I am the Ebert and Roper side. Don't don't take me on the Vegas Dave side, but Ebert and Roper, I am your guy. I wonder if Paul Schwartz has uh, watched this. Here we go. Let's find out. And joining us now, as he does each and every week, New York Giants beat writer for the New York Post, Paul Schwartz. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Schwartz and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Paul, the final chip has kind of fallen here. The Giants have hired Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator. I feel like we've been talking about it. You've been talking about it with Jimmy for weeks. You said he wasn't the head coach candidate. He was getting interviewed for an offensive coordinator job, and he gets the job. I know a lot of Giants fans have mixed emotions on this. What were your initial thoughts when they went with Garrett? Hey, Jake. Yeah, I think most Giant fans are happy about it. I mean, um, you know, the ones I, I can tell, uh, you know, I think most Giants fans were not interested in in Jason Garrett if he was going to be the head coach, as you said. Um, you know, that was not, you know, it's a hard sell. I, I, I've i been writing all along. That's a hard sell. Jason Garrett, now he's beaten the Giants a lot over the last decade, but so is everybody. So if we're going to start lining up potential candidates to be the head coach based on their ability to beat the Giants recently, there'd be a very long line, you know, like a bakery. There'd be a long line waiting for guys for that job. Um, 
But I, I, I think it's it's an interesting move. It wasn't a natural move, and that's sort of what I like about it. You know, Joe Judge did not, you know, a lot of these, you know, Patrick Ram, the defensive coordinator, he'd worked with Joe Judge for a long time with the Patriots. You can kind of see that. Uh, the, the quarterbacks coach they hired, longtime guy with the Patriots with Joe Judge and Bill Belichick. You could kind of connect those dots. There's no dots to connect here with uh, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. So I think this was something maybe not out of the box, but, and I don't know if Joe Judge had to be convinced of this, but he's a guy that, uh, let's face it, John Mara, the only person John Mara was asked about during the Joe Judge introductory press conference about staffing was Jason Garrett. So Joe Judge knows that ownership likes Jason Garrett a lot. Um, They talked on the phone. They decided, you know, Joe Judge, after that phone conversation, said, yep, he's a guy I want to talk to. He brought him in. This was not a hire that I don't think was pressured Joe Judge to make. But it's interesting because, as we know, we're very familiar with Jason Garrett. Do you worry that he's a bit of a high-profile hire, being a guy that comes from Dallas, now coming to the biggest media market on the planet in New York and all the attention that he got in Dallas? Do you worry that – that might overshadow Joe Judge a little bit? Well, I, yeah, I, that's a point. I, I think that's a fair point. There's always when you have a young head coach, you know, the league is trending very much to young coordinator-type head coaches who, you know, other before they were hired, you maybe couldn't pick out of a lineup. And when you pair him with an established former head coach, there is a fear that, you know, who's running the team? Uh, you know, and especially Jason Garrett didn't even – take a year off, right? I mean, he was just let go. January 14th was his last day under contract. And then, you know, a couple of days later, he's hired by the Giants. Um, and and I'm sure that is something that Joe Judge thought about and listened to Jason Garrett talking in their interview. Don't forget, Joe Judge was very clear on this. He said, I want teachers, not guys who are just going to present. I want teachers, not presenters. And he said, I will not have anybody on my staff was any agenda other than the best interest of the New York Giants. So I think that is something that Joe Judge had to get clarified in his mind. Is Jason Garrett coming here as a stepping stone or because he really feels he can help the Giants? But one, there is one fear of this, and I think it's legitimate. Jason Garrett, as you said, he's high profile. He's respected around the league. What happens if this year he comes to the Giants and does really good things. You know, the cupboard's not bare, right? You know, especially on offense, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Daniel Jones. If he comes here and does really good things with this offense for a year, and all of a sudden some team says, you know what, let's hire Jason Garrett. Now you have a one-year coordinator. That's not good. That's always a fear with these guys. Exactly, and you also have the fear of him maybe looking over the shoulder of Joe Judge if, say, the defense stinks and the offense is good and, say, they have a 4-12 and season. Then you're going to have the people saying, oh, maybe Jason Garrett takes over. So you worry about that. And you mentioned some of those pieces on offense, Paul. How about this rumor now that Jason Witten could follow him in town? Uh, Do you buy into that at all? And do you think that would be a wise move to bring in uh, the seasoned veteran from uh, Dallas who is catching first downs for a decade against the Giants to potentially joining them? Yeah, uh, the problem is he was catching them for a decade against the Giants. But, you know, time moves on all of us, right? I don't think Jason Witten as a player brings much to the table. I really don't. Uh, You know, he's not an elite blocker by any stretch. He was an elite Hall of Fame pass catcher. There's no doubt about it. There should be a, you know, when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, five years after he retires, 
Uh, he'll thank, I'm sure, a lot of people on the way up, and he would be very remiss if he didn't thank every Giants defensive coordinator and every Giants defensive back and every Giants linebacker for helping him get to Canton because they helped, as you said. He caught a lot of passes for a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns against the Giants. But, you know, he's a shell of what he was. And, and you know, maybe as a coach, you know, they, they, when when it turned out that he's going to leave Dallas, the, the initial reports were, well, there's really not a position on Mike McCarthy's staff in Dallas for Jason Witten. So I think he'd be an interesting option as a tight ends coach. But there again, you know, is, is he more worthy of that than some veteran who who knows coaching? You know, tight ends coaches traditionally are guys on their way up starting. You know, guys, you know, I, I think Mc, Mike McCarthy started as a tight ends coach. Ben McAdoo started as a tight ends coach. That's very, very popular place for these coaches to start. You know why? Think of it. How many tight ends are on a team? two or three, right? So you're coaching a very small group, very certain specific skill set. So, I mean, Jason Witten, if you want to, you know, if you want to sell, well, he can, he can be a player. He doesn't have to be a great player. You know, you're still taking up a roster spot and I don't see where he fits with Evan Engram being the pass catcher. I think this is kind of very preliminary, maybe as a coach, maybe as a coaching assistant, you want him in the building to help with these young guys, maybe. It just doesn't seem like a logical fit to me, but because you have Jason Garrett there, you know, there's going to be that kind of talk. Father Time does catch up with you, and Father Time has caught up with Eli Manning. You wrote a story about him and his future, and now he's part of swim clubs, and he's really full dad mode, dad bod, dad mode. Eli Manning seems to be taking a potential post-NFL career on starting this offseason. Uh, do you think this is the end of the road now for Eli as the NFL quarterback? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If if that's a dad bod, I'll let, sign me up for that, right? I mean, he's, uh, <laughs> he looks, you know, 6'5", 218. He looks – his dad bod now doesn't look much different than when he came into the league. So uh, he's uh, – he's you know, we'll see. You know, five years down the road, ten years down the road, let's see what that dad bod looks like. Now he looks pretty good. Um uh, yeah, I do. I, I I just look. It ends for everybody, you know. And 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 he's thirty. He just turned thirty nine. Uh, there's a couple of factors here, Jake. First of all, he's not coming back to the Giants. He does not want to be a backup. I don't think the Giants are looking at him and saying, "Man, Eli, we really want you to come back as our backup quarterback." I mean, how much? You know, they don't want to pay a backup a lot of money. Eli's made over two hundred and fifty million dollars. You know, he's not looking to hang on with another team for three, four, five million bucks. And you need a team to play for. I mean, there's just no team out there that logically is going to hand him a starting job. There just isn't. Um, if, if Eli Manning let it be known through his agent, I want to play in 2020, I will do anything, okay? I will hold the clipboard. I will help your young quarterback. I will run your scout team. I will do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll accept $5 million a year. Hire me. There'll be some interest, I think, but that's not the the, the sentiment he's going to put out there. And so, you know, he's married. He has four kids. He's staying in New Jersey. As I wrote in the post the other day, uh, you know, he's a swim dad. His older daughter, Ava, swims. He times for her. He helps. He's an assistant coach. Not even a head coach, for God's sakes. He's the assistant coach on her, on her you know, little, uh, whatever, third grade uh, 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 basketball team. You know, I think, you know, he I think he's going to retire, you know, and he just has to wait and see when Uh, he's not a guy who wants to, you know, 
usurp the, the 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 spotlight from the Super Bowl or from the championship games. You know, he will be in Miami. He always is. He's uh, he's you know he's a two time Super Bowl MVP. There are events for those guys. Uh, he does some work for some you know companies. Uh, uh, some charity work also. He'll be down there to do some promotional work there. I don't think he wants to announce it in Miami. So my anticipation is, as I wrote, is sometimes after the Super Bowl, you know, he talks to the Giants. They talk, okay, let's let's talk about this. They'll have some kind of a, a press conference. It'll be very low key. And then, then the real interesting thing happens. It starts the clock on the five-year waiting period to see if he gets into the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning adding assistant middle school basketball coach to his resume on top of two Super Bowls. Not a bad gig to add to your LinkedIn uh, as he says goodbye here. You're off to Mobile, Alabama, sweet home Alabama. Today you're going to look at Senior Bowl and see some seniors out there. Who do you have your eye on here for the Giants potentially when it comes to seniors that they may look at to bolster their roster? I remember driving from New Orleans to Mobile um, one year and my um, navigation on my phone completely crapped out. And I remember thinking, boy, Alabama does not have a lot of cell towers. <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know what they lead the country in, but it's, you're going to print out the map quest directions like 2000. I'm telling you, you know what? It's, it's when you were driving around blind, it's, it's, I'm thinking, man, you know, in the old days I would print them out uh, and I would follow them. And, you know, it, it's, it may seem like old school, but it's better than driving where you don't know where you're going. Um, yeah, you know what, you know, look, there's no chase young there. You know what I mean? This is not, you know, a lot of the top prospects are underclassmen, but 93 players in last year's senior bowl were drafted, uh, in, in the draft in 2019, 40 of them in the top three rounds, 10 in the first round. So there will be, there are tremendous players there. You know, it's hard to say last year, Will Hernandez was, um, uh, the Giants fell in love with him at the Senior Bowl they, uh, two years ago, and they made that um, him, their their second round pick. You know, look, there's there's a bunch of offensive linemen. This guy Trey Adams from Washington, Josh Jones from Houston, uh, a guy with a great name, Prince Tega Wanogu from Auburn, is another offensive lineman who I think you know they will take a look at. A big guy, uh, uh, edge rushers. You know, the the top edge rushers are not there, but. Terrell Lewis from Alabama is a guy who's going to go early. A guy I like, my son goes to Wisconsin, so I watch them a lot. Zach Bond is a classic outside linebacker, uh, you know, pass rush. He had uh, 12 sacks, I think, this year. You know, he's a guy I think they should look at. You know what? It's it's a big, it's a nice, uh, now uh, um, um, Burrow from LSU is not going to be there. He declined an invitation. Why should he go, right? He's going to be the first pick, whether he, shows up or doesn't show up uh you know so uh you know the giants don't have to look at quarterbacks but i'll be looking at him you know justin herbert obviously jalen hurts you know two guys will be there who are very interesting you know whenever quarterbacks are big prospects it always you know pumps everything up so yeah the, this guys you know they'll they'll be you know joe judge is going in the past the jets uh i'm sorry in the past the giants head coach does not always go to the pro bowl but he's a first-time head coach he'll be there the scouts will be there his uh, new coordinators will be there. And, you know, they, look, Jake, this is where it starts. You know, the Giants were 4-12 and 12 last year, 5-11 and 11 before that, 3-13 and 13 before that. They need, you know, they can change the coaches all they want. They need better players. And this is where the best way to get players is in the draft. It's not free agency. It's cheap labor for four or five years. You got to be smart in the draft. And this is where you have to – 
start the process of getting them at the senior bowl. Then it's the combine in Indianapolis. You know, this is, this is where the best teams, if you just have to go back to last year, you know, Kyle Shanahan coached one of the teams last year in mobile and they found Debo Samuel in the senior bowl last year. You saw him yesterday, right? Making plays all over the field, you know, second round pick last year, a, a, a linebacker, Dree Greenlaw, they got him. Both guys made the all-rookie team. Smart teams do smart things. You know, the Giants got to be smarter and do smart things, and this is where it starts. And we're three months away from the draft actually happening. I feel like the, the bald Mel Kuyper even talking about it right now. Uh, it's a long ways away. Paul Schwartz, before we let you go, we mentioned the end of the first segment. Did you watch the Aaron Hernandez doc yet on Netflix? I didn't see the whole thing. I did see some of it, yes. Um, you know, it was... You know, it's a hard watch. I mean, it's great. It's great television. You know, it was done very well. Kevin Armstrong's one of the guys who was the developer of it. I know him, you know, fine journalist. Um, but, you know, it's hard to watch, you know, story. Just a, just a, you know, it's it's like it depends on what kind of movies you like watching. You know, do you like watching, you know, true stories of terrible things happening or fantasy? You know, uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's compelling stuff. Yeah, it was really good because we said last week we'd get your Irishman take, but that takes about three weeks to get through it. So uh, maybe we'll get that from you come uh, free agency when we resume the podcast after the Super Bowl. Paul Schwartz, you can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Schwartz. Check out his columns in the post and at nypost.com. No pot shots to take. This went so much better today, didn't it? I don't I don't know. I can't put my finger on why, but it um, seemed like a different different uh, vibe. What do you think? I'll report the news to Jimmy and see what he says. Uh, you know, he, he, he said to me, make sure he takes a pot shot at me to, to end the segment. Well, you know, we talked about Eli Manning, and one of his greatest attributes was he never missed a game, right? Never missed a game. And when you miss a game, sometimes the guy can do the fill-in can take over and it's a, you know, the old Wally Pip syndrome, right? So all I have to say about Jimmy is, you know, you miss a podcast and you never know who's, uh, you know, there to take your place. That's all. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I hope I'm not the Geno Smith coming in for one game and it was the wrong move, uh, but there's no Ben McAdoo around. Uh, thanks, Paul. All right, Jake. Take care. Joining us now is former Giants GM Ernie Accoracy. George Young finally gets voted into the centennial class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And this man, Ernie, took over for Georgia in 1998 after serving as his assistant from 94 to 97. And how well-deserved is this, Ernie? I mean, what a great run George had with Big Blue. Well, George uh, maintained a a level of excellence in every job he ever had. George uh, and I go back a lot further than that. We, We both with the Baltimore Colts. He started in 1968. I started in 1970. And we worked together uh, for, for those five years until I went to the legal office in 1975 and stayed very, very close in touch over the years. He's probably my best friend uh, that I ever had in the National Football League. But everything George did, uh, he did you know, with excellence. He was a, a great high school coach and teacher. He was a terrific scout when we were together. Um, he was... Uh, an excellent coach in the pros. He coached the offensive line for the 1970 Colts. We won the Super Bowl. And when he came up here, he, he built a tremendous organization. And uh, there was just so many elements to George. He was so educated. He had two master's degrees. Uh, he was patient in, in what he did. He was a great evaluator. And, you know, there are a lot of people who can evaluate talent. But with the ability George had to set him apart, was he was a great team builder. He knew how to build a team, 
a championship team. And, and uh, yeah, it was the only bittersweet sweet part about this is he's not here. Um, and he's been gone for 19 years now, which just seems almost impossible. But he he certainly does deserve it, and he would have deserved it a long time ago, frankly. Five executive of the year awards. He made the playoffs eight times. He won two Super Bowls after the team missed the playoffs for 15 years. He really turned this franchise around and set it up for greatness and turned the Giants really into an iconic football franchise what what do you take away one memory one cool story from when you did work with him when we came into the league you know almost at the same time i mean we were uh equals i was i won't say equals in ability but as far as our levels uh in the organization it was a small organization in those days so we worked together and, and he was a scout and i was the public relations director at the time so when i came back to work for him i had been a general manager of two teams and now, you know, I was working for him and, you know, the relationship had to change to a point. I mean, it really wasn't going to, but, but I had to make a point to treat him like a boss. And because I wanted to make sure that everyone else in the organization, you know, that, that he presided over didn't look at us as two buddies. Then I had to live by the same rules as they did. Not that there were, you know, there was a great delineation of powers in there. George was a great person to work for, but I had to treat him like a boss. And I, you know, I had not treated him like a boss for the last previous 35 years. So, uh, that, that was the one thing about him. And I, I, you know, he never really had to do contracts or, uh, lead an organization when we were together. So all of a sudden now I hear him yelling at agents. So I said, geez, George, I never saw this side of you before, but you know, I, I got a chance to see him, you know, in charge, which, I, you know, I knew enough about him from being with the Cleveland Browns and being in league meetings with him and several committees with him that I knew what kind of leader he was. But now I saw it close up and you could see how he rose to the occasion, every level that he went. But he taught, you know, so many things. I, I, I'd i say the biggest lesson I learned from him was how to act as as a executive and a professional. I know when I first came in the league, I was, you know, I would maybe – say something in the press box about an official's call or something. And I remember he said to me, he says, Nick, if you want to be an executive, start acting like a professional. And he always set that standard in everything that he did. Did you feel like you had tough shoes to fill? Obviously he was such a legend and you're stepping in with the New York football giants. I mean, it's a, it's a different atmosphere than a city like Cleveland. Did you feel like you had a big shoes to fill? Oh yeah. I mean, you, you never fill a legendary person's shoes. I mean, I'm sure Mickey Mantle felt, how do I, you know, fill Joe DiMaggio's shoes? I mean, you have to be who you are. Uh, I, I unfortunately had eight years in Cleveland, made five straight playoffs. So I had been, had some success as a general manager. So I, I, it wasn't like I had never been a general manager before, but certainly, you know, I wasn't trying to be George Young. No one could be George Young. And, and, uh, but we, I guess if I would have walked in and George had been a stranger, it would have been a lot more difficult, but, because I had worked with him before and now again for four years, it, he made it as smooth as he could possibly make it was so supportive and helpful, but you never really can fill anybody's shoes of that nature. He, he was, he is, you know, he's a hall of famer now, but he was already legendary. Don't you feel this was kind of long overdue? Obviously it's sad. We've, we've lost him almost 19 years now, but it seems like this probably should have happened a while ago. Yeah. I, you know, when John Mackey made the hall of fame, a great tight end that we were both with, uh, George and I, I called him and I kind of said the same thing you just said. He said, 
don't dwell on that. I made it. Uh, that's all that matters. So I don't tell people how to vote. I I'd certainly wish he could have, you know, been alive. That, that's the thing. But, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen him make it earlier, but I, you know, would have had to be a lot earlier before, uh, for him to be able to enjoy it. Um, I, I just wish he was here you know, to experience this because he always said the only player should make the Hall of Fame. But I know that I know how much this would have meant to him. How much different is this franchise if this if if he's not the GM? I mean, look at the guys that they brought in. I mean, Lawrence Taylor, Carl Banks, Harry Carson. I mean, the list goes on and on from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer. I mean, it's an endless list. It's probably a completely different Giants franchise we're talking about if it weren't for him. Well, it has to be because uh, he was an individual, a unique individual, made his mark with the choices he made. That, that's not to mean that somebody else couldn't have been successful. It's just that it would have obviously been totally different because no one is the same. No one sees every player is the same or building a team the same. So, I mean, with someone that we don't even know who that could have been, a pick Phil Sims, that was not an easy pick. It turned out to be a great pick. Uh, Lars Taylor was a, a little bit of a, you know, maybe a lot of people would have picked Lars Taylor, but the way he built his team, no one would have built it exactly the way he did. I mean, they might have been successful, but George put a unique mark. He left his mark on this franchise, and it, it was a very unique mark. Ernie, of course, he former Giants GM. Appreciate you coming on and shedding some light on uh, George's great life, and we're glad to see him in. Appreciate you coming on Blue Rush. My pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Blue Rush. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the pants off of this show all season long. Listen to every episode of Blue Rush by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Giants news by signing up for our daily New York Post Sports newsletter and by visiting NewYorkPost.com. See you next Monday to preview the Super Bowl.